we can get most of our websites done now in about three to four weeks this way, fully custom. Like, you know, we, we have some shared component libraries like a slideshow or a video player, for example, but most of the work we do is fully custom. We're starting from scratch on every component pretty much just because of the nature of the work we do. It's all custom designed. So but yeah, three to four weeks um, with a couple of people on it. It's, yeah, it's pretty quick. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. My name is Paul, and today with us we have Drew Baker. So Drew is the technical director and the co-founder of Funkhouse. So we're going to be talking about Funkhouse a little bit and how you got into that. Welcome to the podcast, Drew. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on. Uh, yeah, so just like I mentioned, you're the technical director and co-founder of Funkhouse. Uh, before we get into that, how did you get into this field? Like, how long ago did you start your journey into creating your own products and solutions? Oh, wow. So it, probably 15 years ago now, I would say. I mean, I, I always was into computers and, and my first like job in when I was in high school was this, an IT tech at different high schools. <laughs> so like I grew up around it for sure. Uh, and then... I went to school, like in, growing up in Australia, computer science and computer as a career basically was not something that I was aware of as an option. <laughs> uh, and my, so I went to school for business and business law actually, and uh, got offered a job through a friend doing what we would call cloud computing now on Wall Street for hedge funds and banks uh, in New York. And so I, dropped out a semester short of graduating and moved to New York to work on uh that's a happy accident yeah it, I figured that was the job I wanted so I might as well just do it now and uh so I, I moved to New York for that and and was mostly working in data centers and uh like doing big cross connects and all kinds of server infrastructure and stuff like that uh for hedge funds and banks which was crazy uh and and a whole um weird world that I didn't really know I was getting myself into. And then my twin brother, uh, he's much more on the creative tip, started a, a surf, skate, snow um, magazine in Australia and where I'm from. And so he called me up one day and was like, hey, I'm starting this magazine. Come work for me. Uh, you know, we need all kinds of help. And, and I was working in a room with no windows uh, and humidity controlled and the only other things in there were like computer servers uh, and I was like, co-work for a surf, skate, snow magazine. That sounds way better. <laughs> so I went and did that. And that was my first kind of real drop in the deep end in terms of having to like build websites because we needed a website and there was no one else that could do it. So I had to figure it out. And so that's kind of how I got into like building websites professionally for sure. I mean, it's funny you came from the business oriented kind of like place because hooking up data centers, moving data, selling the data, like that, that is the business of computers. When you're at that level, that's about like business decisions. It's about um, enterprise uh, offerings that you can support what you can't support. How are you going to get things? Even getting the data from place A to place B is a whole business decision. Like taking something out of AWS could like run you a, f a few nice Lord, uh, Ford lariats. You're totally, totally right. Like it, I was blown away at, at just the way data centers connect to each other like that was a big part of what i was doing was just connecting like a data center in connecticut to one in new york you know uh, these sorts of things and 
the whole like business of cross connects and stuff was crazy. I didn't know any of that existed. Um, the underworld. Yeah. Whole other world. <laughs> so not very software. None of it was really software. It was all hardware stuff and mm-hmm. just some, some crazy horror stories of uh, plugging, you know, like 10 people on a phone call waiting for me to plug in a server. And then, you know, I plug it in and it's set to the wrong power from 220 to 110 volts. And I, uh, oh, fun. Like blowing, blowing up a, a whole power supply for a, you know, $10,000 a computer server that, 10 people are waiting on me to do it was real high pressure for for someone who really didn't know what they were doing <laughs> well everybody has their i destroyed this while i was doing my job story so there's yours that's a pretty good one <laughs> yeah yeah uh well now you're doing stuff that's not plugging in cables as much you're building like you said enterprise websites it's like on the different we're, we're on a different continent now of, of computer land <laughs> so like like how did you so you got into this because of the the magazines well yeah so i was working doing built a website for pop magazine which was my brother's magazine in australia and then from there ended up back um in la working in like eventually moved on to working at a a software company in la called uh y drive and so y drive was a early version of like almost like a private YouTube, but really geared around Hollywood production space. So if you were sharing video clips around because you were working on this commercial and you wanted to talk about some timestamp, you know, you would use Drive to do that. Or if you were sending around reels of some director's work pitching on jobs, you would use Drive to do that. And so I worked there as a front-end engineer. My, my role there was really to pull data out of the Drive system. I mean, this was before YouTube really. Um, pull data out of the Y-Drive system and display it on a third-party website. And so through Y-Drive, I met my business partner, Dave Funkhauser, which is where the name Funkhauser comes from, David Funkhauser. It's a really... You wouldn't have never have guessed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I met Dave and then I met my other business partner, Nick, sort of through that world. And Y-Drive, like a lot of um, digital agencies, before they were Y-Drive, they were a digital website agency. And then they built this video tool that became a SaaS platform that was way more um, uh, popular than the agency. So they're making more money doing that. And so they closed down the whole digital agency and just started focusing on the SaaS tool. And so me and Dave were sitting there in the wings being like, well, we can build those websites. <laughs> and so we we left Y-Drive together and started Funkhouse. And that was 11 years ago now. So if you were to describe Funkhouse in like, Really quick, I mean like a true elevator speech. Your 30 seconds, like how can we wrap this up for listeners? Yeah, so we're a digital agency uh, that focuses largely on, we, we say demystifying the creative. So our whole process is like very sort of a blue collar approach with a, you know, a, a high design sort of polish to all of it. So we try and, yeah, that's what we do. So we largely build and design websites all in-house and we have a whole content marketing department as well. Great. So it's, you're building very professional, very modern, uh, finely, finely tuned digital products for, uh, is it mostly for like creative customers or? Yeah. Our sweet spot, we, we say, we like to say our sweet spot is like a high design need meets a specific business case. So a lot of B2B clients, we've done plenty of B2C stuff too, but you know, the, the majority of work we do is for, for high creative companies and being in Hollywood, that's largely like um, uh, sort of user, I guess, uh, customer, visual effects companies, directors, 
and but also like moving into architecture firms and boutique hotels anyone that is really competing on a high design need like a boutique hotel is a great one because you know we, we're looking they're looking to be look better than the next but you know have to book rooms or same with high-end architecture firms things like that um and also recently a lot of other agencies actually you know a lot of other marketing agencies or advertising agencies that don't have the digital first kind of capability like we do so we've been doing a lot of that too which is always kind of interesting gotcha okay um thank you for that i, I feel like this will just help people like frame their mind as we start to dive into you know what we really want to get into the meat the meat and potatoes of the podcast here which is you know how do you use the like some technology stays particularly want to talk about view um and then talk about um storybook how you organize these components and how you just like make this machine sort of like run smoothly design is something i, I think a lot of people find abstract and difficult to grasp especially coming from the developer side and I mean, if you go to the Funkhouse website, it's it's a gorgeous. I mean, it's a gorgeous piece that you guys put up there. Like, if anybody wants an example of a fun website, definitely check out the Funkhouse website. I mean, you go there, and we. One thing that I was thinking about when I was just noodling around is you guys completely take things and rethink how they're used in the DOM. For example, the scroll. So, like when you're scrolling on Funkhouse, you have the lateral scrolling, but then at some point you have the classic. Oh, I'm on Apple's product page, and like there's a slideshow playing. But then like it switches again and now we have like a carousel that's going left and right. So you're like taking this slider or the scroll functionality in the DOM and you're just completely re-imaging like its original design purpose in every way that you can possibly like interact with it uh, to present content in stimulating ways. So I, I would like to kick off the like talking about the uh, intricacies of how you make these products by asking what is the team composition like when uh, you're tackling a new website do you use the same technologies why do you use them and would you say it's like 50 50 designers and programmers or are you looking for people who are really talented programmers and are designers and where do you kind of find the balance there yeah yeah i mean it's been a whole evolution for us to figure out how to do those things and how to do them well you know when it's when it when we started it was just dave would well it would start with nick my partner Nick would sell the websites. <laughs> Dave would design them, and then I would build them. You know that was the original, the original trio. And then it's grown from there. And we've had to learn all the lessons along the way of how to scale a team and scale a, a production effort, and you know all of the stuff that comes into building websites at scale and professionally. But the you know I think maybe I'll start by just talking a little bit about our process and how we kind of get to a website, and that could kind of inform the um, team composition. Yeah, so. A lot of the times it'll begin, a, a customer will come to Funkhouse. And a lot of the times it's outreach to us, uh, wanting a website of some sort. And we will start that conversation with my business partner, Nick, you know, who, who's, who's really partnerships director, you know, sales lead guy, but way more than that and, and way, way higher level of thinking about just like what is it that you want and try and really distill down what is it that the customer wants what is it that they really you know there's a lot of disconnects between like what they say they want versus what you know you're kind of hearing and being like well i think actually really what you want is this you know and sort of doing a little bit of business therapy and hearing what what their business challenges are and how a, our website may or may not be a good idea for them we, we try and be devil's advocates and not, you know, upsell them on, you know, you should have an app or something like this. You know, if they try and hear what they 
their problems are and then propose solutions around that. And so then we'll go from that into like a, a wireframing kickoff meeting where we, we want to hear what it is that they have done in the past and all of the different sort of business concerns that they might have. And from that, we'll produce sort of a wireframe of what we think the website should look like. Uh, and and there's a lot more strategy that goes into it than just like, here's a PDF. <laughs> but it's a lot of thinking and everything that sort of distills down what they need into a way that we can start pointing at things and talking about it. And from there, once wireframes have kind of been decided on and signed off on by the client, we'll go into a prototyping phase, design prototyping phase, where the design team, which uh, at Funkhouse is four people, uh, headed up by my partner, Dave, um, and generally they'll produce a, a total one-to-one prototype in Adobe XD, which for people out there is pretty similar to Figma or any of these other high website prototyping software, but we use Adobe XD. Um, and then from there, the client will see a one-to-one of what the website's going to look like. Uh, and the prototyping has come a long way now. Like the fidelity is pretty pretty close. It falls down when it comes to animations and things like that. You kind of have to fill in the gaps there with a bit of explanation or uh, some examples of like, oh, it's going to be kind of like this other website, you know, that we built or whatever. Um, and then once there'll be revisions to that, obviously you go through three rounds of revisions with the client and try and get it to a point where they like it uh, and sign off on it. And then it comes over to my team, which is the programming team. And that's me uh, and five, five, six other people headed up by me. And so what we do is we can talk, we can go very deep <clears throat> in, in what, our process is on the technical side. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. Well, so we, yeah, we're going to, we'll get there. Cause I know we want to talk about storybook and everything that we do there. Um, but then my, my team, we have over the years really put a lot of effort into trying to figure out what, are the, what makes a good front end developer for the work that we do, which is this high design, like you said about the Funkhouse website, uh, high animation, you know, lo- lots of like different things, <laughs> I would say. So we, we found that, what you want to do is look for, and we, we've coined, we use the phrase design driven developer. You want to find a developer that cares about design and has a bit of a design eye. Cause ideally you, you, you want the developer filling in the gaps that might've been missed in the design process. or you know, like just not having to get real hung up on like, Oh, this is pixel perfect to what the designers did more like the design intent was this. So therefore I know that really what they kind of want to do here is this, you know, um, and fill in the gaps and, and, and hopefully add a level of, of thinking to it that maybe wasn't even thought about in terms of, especially when it comes to animation and things like that. Kind of more vibe driven, less spec driven. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and it's a delicate balance where, where you kind of don't want people going rogue and building a whole thing, but you definitely want them to kind of be thinking about, like you said, divide. So what I've found there is really it's, it, it's CSS is the problem. <laughs> Getting someone who is really good at CSS is really hard to find. Uh, a lot of people think they're good at CSS and then get into the work we do and realize they don't really know nearly enough. Really, I'm really curious of like, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm handy with CSS, like, yeah. But then when you get into the weeds, I don't know, there's some crazy stuff out there. So like, what's, what's an example of something that, you know, people get into and they're like, oh my God. Well, we, we would used to have this sort of programming test that we would screen applicants with. And it was like a multi-choice questionnaire. It was like 10 questions, I think, or even, even less, you know, and you'd be surprised at, you know, what's the difference between position absolute, position fixed, position sticky, you know, 
And everyone thinks, oh, I kind of get it, but do you really get it? You know, like, or, you know, tell me the five different properties of Flexbox, you know, the, these kinds of things. And then, you know, that, those are like basic ones in my mind, but it gets deeper, you know, like when was the last time you used object fit or object position, um, these sorts of things. Uh, and then just all the overlapping stuff that comes with it. I mean, that's the problem with CSS is it's like you can know the property, but how do they all interact together is the real question. And there's no real logic to any of it. It's just you have to have used it all and, you know, understand all the quirks of it all. Uh, so it, it's a hard language to learn because you can't kind of figure it out. You just have to, I think you just have to do it. I wonder if that's like a telltale sign of a well-designed, like intentful product though. Like people can, 95% of people can use CSS and not know the syntax, just like most people can speak English and not understand the tense of a single verb they're producing. <sighs> yeah, but I would say CSS is, I mean, it's not even a, it's not even a language, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah. It's a collection of, of settings. <laughs> I don't think you could write a Turing complete anything. And no, I mean, you, no, I don't think you can. I don't think that's possible. Yeah. So anyway, so CSS is, 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 is the one that is the steep learning curve. And when we always struggle with it, so there's that, but then, you know, but view is an alternative to react that I would say is the second most popular one in, um, in my opinion, there, there was some an argument for some things like Angular, which is like Google's version of this. But Vue is a web component building uh, library. Really, it's really good for building front end components. Um, yeah, so we we're we're deep into Vue, and so we use Vue on everything. Uh, it's fantastic for building components for front end websites, like what we do. And how does um, Nuxt tie in? Yeah, so Nuxt Nuxt is. Very, in, in, I mean, our whole business runs on it. It's in, incredible what you can do with it. So Nuxt is, so if you have a component library like React, great for building an individual component, not so great for building an entire website, especially when you get into server-side rendered and you want different routes and all these kinds of things. Okay, if you're just building a single-page app where, you know, you don't really want to update the URL or anything like that, then you could use React or Vue. There's another layer on top of all this, which is more of like a website library, which in the React world, there's one called Next, which a lot of people are probably familiar with. In the Vue world, there's there's Nuxt. So that is like, a, in my mind, the best way to think of that is like, Nuxt is a great library for building a website and it uses Vue for the components in that website. Gotcha, okay, that that's interesting. The, the first time I ever saw Nuxt, I was angry that somebody misspelled Next. <laughs> so yeah so, so nux is sort of like the view um the view port of being able to assemble this into a you know a nice package to create a server-side rendered like routable easy interface i mean, I, I think a lot of people i've interacted with one-on-one -on -one are familiar with next and it just has raving reviews not just from me but from a lot of people so um Nux is up the same alley it must really appeal to a large audience very much very close you know, a lot of a lot of what's going on in Next, you know, trickles down into Nuxt. Like we we kind of get the same Next features a year later <laughs> in the view world. But the new it's it's an exciting time for Nuxt right now because the new version of Nuxt, Nuxt three, is is now in like release candidate and it's probably going to be out in September this year and it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to do a lot of really really useful things that we're very excited for. Hey. This is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. 
You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. So we have these three products we mentioned so far, uh, Nuxt, View. And um, no, that's it. Really, we're using well, view Nuxt and um, Storybook is the other one that we we're going to talk about a little bit. I wanted to include Storybook, that first one in here, because how would you frame like the way your pipeline works internally? Like, how do these three teams that we talked about earlier come together and use these tools to really streamline this pipeline of development and you know make it easy to for everybody to just create? Yeah, so we we have developed this process that we call factory. So this is kind of like an internal Funkhouse kind of terminology here, but we have the factory process. And so the factory process for us is, is this, is we get the design prototypes uh, that have been approved and we're going to start building them. And so what we do is we do a design reading with the, with the design team. And so it'll be, you know, the lead programmer on a, a site and then one or two of, of other programmers that are really only going to be focused on building components. So we structure it like that, where we have one person who is basically putting together the jigsaw puzzle, and then we have uh, an unknown amount of team members that are building the little pieces of the jigsaw. And so in our world, those are components. So depending on how big the project is and how fast we need to get it done, we might have four or five people building the components. You know, it depends on how fast we want to go, but we can scale those out so that we can build them, you know, as fast as we want, because what we do is we'll break down the designs of a website into components. So you've got a, you know, header component, you've got a little hamburger button component, you've got a slideshow component, which is made up of a slide component. And then you might have a pagination component inside the slideshow, you know, so you start to think of it like a big jigsaw puzzle. So building out all the little pieces. And so we'll end up with a big list of all of these components that we need defined with some spec for each component. So, if you're familiar with React and Vue, you have this idea of props. So a component has some inputs and it might emit some events. So inputs would be like it has an image, has a title, maybe text, and then like a URL when I click the button, it goes to this other place. Those might be some props examples. And so we kind of build out this big spec of each component. And, you know, we might end up, average website will have about 50 components on it for us. And so what we do then is, we right as soon as we finish that we can start building those components we don't have to have any sort of context of the whole website or anything like that and we'll start building those in storybook and so storybook is a originally it was designed as kind of like a living style guide for your website so you airbnb is a classic example of using this you can go and look up the airbnb storybook and that will be it, it's a it's an, like an interactive website that's sort of like auto-generated of all the components used on a website and all the variants of components. So you might have a button and then you might have a button, you know, hover state, a button deactivated, a button, you know, missing field input or something and show all the variants of it. And then these are stories. So you have a top level component and then all the stories that go kind of with it. And so you can build out these components in Storybook in an isolated environment. So you don't have to have it living in a website 
You don't have to worry about like, oh, this is going to go on the homepage. You don't have to know any of that. You just have to know the button looks like this and it's supposed to look like that and it's supposed to do this. And here's the props it needs, needs to have. And if I click on it, it should emit some event. So we can then go from there, just building out those components. You know, there's some shared stuff that you need to set up like fonts and colors and some, some common variables that you might need to use, but you can get all that done in 20 minutes, really. So from then, the, the team building out the components can just run and build them as fast as they can. Um, and we can put five, 10 people on that if we need to. Um, and so that, that's the, the way we take it. And then each component gets built and we can QA each component individually. And so we can pass the component over to uh, the design team. We, we run all this through Netlify. So we get builds every time a component gets completed. And so we can pass over a URL to the design team and say, hey, this was the slideshow component. You know, was this what, did we do this correctly? Did you? You know, and, and a lot of the times we don't even need to show the design team because we're kind of so in sync with them now, but we have a question. So we can kind of get ahead of it. They don't need to wait until the website is finished or we've built this one page. They can look at it individually. Uh, and so then once the components start getting finished, then whoever's our project lead will start assembling them into each page. And so they're at that point, they're just assembling a jigsaw uh, and, and handling the, the data layer, fetching data from our, whatever backend we might be using. Uh, and we, we tend to use GraphQL to do that. So you, you really can build websites now in, in parallel um, and it's been huge for us. And, and that, that was a process that we put, I, I have put a lot of energy into at Funkhouse. And, uh, and recently, we actually we were hired by UCLA um, to, to teach their engineering team how to build websites this way, um, which was exciting. It was a crazy project to do and a lot of fun. So, yeah, so that, that's how we do it. Um, and it w- works really well. We can get most of our websites done now in about three to four weeks this way, full, fully custom. Like, you know, we, we have some shared component libraries that we, you know, it's like a slideshow or a video player, for example. But most of the work we do is fully custom. You know, like we're starting from scratch on every component pretty much. Um, just because of the nature of the work we do, it's all custom designed. So, so yeah, three to four weeks um, with a couple of people on it. It's, yeah, it's pretty quick. That's insane. I mean, so you pull you, the designers and the component builders are organizing this custom component library. Does that go into its own storybook? Its own like, yep. Okay, gotcha. And then, so when you pull the component, can you explain the GraphQL part a little bit? That's v- very intriguing. Yeah, so, you know, you build a website, you need content for it, you know, and there's a bunch of different ways you can supply content to a website. It just occurred to me that, that, that there might be a lot of users or listeners out there that aren't fully aware of this idea of a decoupled front end and back end. You know, it used to be that when we when we start, Funcast started, we would build traditional sort of WordPress templates. So you would have PHP, WordPress, CMS building out PHP templates and that was it. So you had these server-side rendered, your server is outputting HTML and that's what the user sees. You know, that's a very traditional way of building websites. The the new way of doing that <clears throat> is you would have these decoupled front-end and back-ends. Um, you might've heard the word Jamstack. That's kind of what they're describing here. So you would have a back-end CMS of some sort that's only output is via an API you know, JSON object, essentially, you know, and you used to have a REST API, which would just output these giant JSON objects of data that you need. But the new, new newness is GraphQL, 
And so that was pioneered by Facebook and is a way to request only the data you need. So if you need just the title, you just ask for the title. If you need, you know, title and an image, you would ask for title and an image, you know. Uh, and so it's a much more efficient way of moving data around. You don't have to just, with a REST API, you kind of just get what they give you. Here, you can kind of tell them what you want. Um, <clears throat> so that's a GraphQL endpoint. And so we now use a headless CMS. And so headless CMS, headless means there's no templating built into the CMS. It's only the, the data model, really. And so we use, generally, we'll use a headless CMS. And, and you know, funny enough, most of what we use is headless WordPress. So we have a WordPress CMS running using the WP GraphQL plugin to make it. So the only output from WordPress is GraphQL. So gets around a lot of the kind of legacy problems and issues with WordPress and plugins and templates and yeah, PHP and all that kind of stuff. And we don't deal with any of that. Basically, it's a no-code CMS now. It just outputs um, GraphQL by one endpoint. And then we just call that on the front end as needed and then use those in passing down into the components as we need. And so the great thing about Nuxt, and it's the same with Next, is you can kind of run those frameworks in different modes and so you have like a server-side rendered mode which would live on like a node server so for us we would use heroku not really out of love for heroku actually <laughs> more just kind of legacy we've been using it for a long time but yeah we would use heroku for a server-side rendered site uh and you do that in on, on a website where you want a lot of um instantaneous sort of pub time from publish to the user seeing it needs to be instant uh, and that's server-side rendered, and that's basically a node server building out the HTML and just giving it to the user on request. And so for a big big website like uh, for us, it was floodmagazine.com. That is a giant music magazine, and obviously they need their stuff needs to be instant. But most of what we do now, 9 out of 10 websites would be static site-generated sites. And so what that means is like at when content is published, you trigger a front-end build process, which basically like DDoSes your, <laughs> your back-end and builds out static HTML of every URL it can find. And so then that sort of takes about 10 minutes generally. And then you just ended up with like a, a basically a folder of HTML that then just gets pushed out onto a CDN. And so those websites are insanely fast because really it's just static HTML given out over a CDN. There's no like connection to the back end. There's no servers involved. It's very serverless kind of thing. And so that's now what we do. We'll use Netlify on the front end to, to run that build and handle that deploy on the CDN and everything like that. So that's kind of our stack. Um, and then the what will be coming out with Nux 3 eventually, and it was already in the Nux world, which is kind of a hybrid of both called incremental, incremental static rendering. And that's where you kind of have the benefits of both, where there's a static site given, but anytime new content is published, they kind of incrementally like update the parts that just updated or they'll just slowly update the whole website, you know, as each route gets built, they just push them individually rather than waiting till it's all finished and pushing all of it at once. I feel like that's the end state, right? Because 80% of the bundle is boilerplate and your nav bar and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, the, the updating content is small in terms of the bundle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And it's, it gets really annoying once your site gets kind of big enough that those build times take anything over 10 minutes. I mean, it's already annoying after a minute, but 
you know, what we found is, especially for the work that we do, which are these sort of high-end marketing portfolio, you know, brand websites, it's fine, you know, and, and having the speed. Like, here's a great example, actually. We, this big website for a big music video uh, advertising video production company called London Alley. And so check it out, London Alley, great website, super high design, amazing work. We originally, just because we built that website 2019, I think, originally, that was a server-side rendered website um, that would score about a 50 on Google page speed, like on the Lighthouse scores. Um, and recently just converted that, didn't change anything about the website other than just kind of updating the code to work in a static site-generated friendly way, and now gets like 90. So Amazing. you just got, I just got a 40-point bump just from doing nothing, really, just from static site versus server-side rendered. Um, so yeah, static site is just incredible once, once it kind of gets all working. It's good that that's the direction that we're all moving in these days, uh, anyways, in, in the web world. Um, so one thing that I love about the way you've described everything, but the way your company works is it reminds me a lot of how a cloud engineer or architect or data center person like yourself, like back in the day would organize a distributed system. You're thinking about where are my bottlenecks? How can I par parallelize these things going on, you, you know, and like come to the same output? Um, it sounds like with these tools, with with Storybook, with Nuxt, um, you're with, with Vue, you're really able to like take some people and have them do this at the same time other people do that, parallelize it, and then also like scale up and scale down these teams in their own isolated like silos that allow everything to come together on silo beautifully at the end. Um, where do you think the bottleneck is right now in the, in the stack and the org? And I say the stack and the org because your stack is your org and your org is your stack. It sounds like you're very well integrated. So, um, you know, is there a bottleneck you're trying to tackle now? Is there an improvement that's coming down the pipeline, maybe in Nux 3 or something that you're excited about? Yeah, so the bottlenecks, you know, totally what you said. Like, we've approached this like a cloud engineer, you know, like distributed systems is a great way to describe what we've done here. So we kind of have, there's two two sides to this is the the human part of it and the people bottleneck, you know, and that's just organizing, like organizing your company in a way that's more efficient. So we can talk about some bottlenecks I see there. But then on the technical side, the bottleneck for us totally is the, is the build times and this sort of, like I said, DDoSing your backend. Um, and there's not a lot of, CMSs right now that are really set up for that. You know, there's a couple of really smart new ones, like anyone out there looking like there's, there's one out of France called Prismic that is really, really set up for this headless CMS doing some really advanced stuff where they're like API is also static generated kind of. It's pretty incredible what they're doing there. So that's really good. But like what we're doing with, with WordPress you know, and a lot of other CMSs that are mainstream enough to be, to stand behind, like, you know, there's plenty of sort of bootstrappy new ones out there that are not something that we could sell onto our, like, enterprise clients. But, like, WordPress is a CMS. Known quantity is a CMS. The headless part of it is all new. That's a real bottleneck. And working with, uh, like, there's only one WordPress host out there, really, WP Engine is the one that is trying to sort of handle this in a modern, headless-friendly way and kind of getting those two to work together really well. Because, like I said, 
most hosts are going to look at a build process as a giant DDoS attack. <laughs> and so they don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to bill for it. They don't know how to scale the traffic. You know, like here's a great example on the math that kind of works out here. Like if you request like an average website, like we, we build, we might have one GraphQL request to build out a menu, one GraphQL request to build out some like open graph tags, one GraphQL request to build out the page data, and then maybe another one or two to handle like, you know, a secondary menu in the footer or something like this. Now, you could go to a lot of effort and combine all of those into one GraphQL request, but it's much easier if you kind of just have like the menu fetches its own data, the footer fetches its own data, you know. So we'll end up with about five, five to eight requests per page. And so if we have a thousand pages, that's a thousand times five. Um, and so you're going to have 5,000 requests just for a thousand page website. Best case scenario, maybe that's 8,000 if you've got an extra couple of requests in there for every page. So what's going to happen is going to trigger a build and Netlify is going to go, okay, build this website as fast as it can. So it's going to hit your backend eight, in eight, for 8,000 requests as fast as it can. So a lot of like, you know, our, our hosts are like, why are you getting 8,000 requests a minute? You know, it's like, well, for that one minute we are, but after that it's zero for, for maybe the whole day. <laughs> and so the the hosting environments really have, haven't caught up yet. It's like um, the burstiest of workloads possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the hosting companies really haven't caught up. And so that's been a huge pain point. Um, and WP Engine, you know, are trying and are, are certainly really engaged with that. Uh, and so that's been good for us. But that's been a big bottleneck is just kind of the back end stuff catching up with this front end. Because the front end world has gone so fast now. Like what is going on in JavaScript is just insane. You know? It's insane, right? It's changing extremely fast. And it's, not, it's also not just like language ads. It's like complete development paradigm shifts that have happened. I guess that's the nature of JavaScript though. You know, it's an unruly <laughs> landscape of development. Just, just, and the infrastructure going on, you know, like Microsoft buying GitHub and NPM and like all of these, like the NPM stuff is, has been crazy. Um, so it's really interesting uh, what's going on in JavaScript and, and the front end world and the, and the back end world, I don't think it's kept pace really. Um, and so there's a big, big bottleneck going on right now for us, especially. So that's, that's one. And then on the people side, the, it's not, not so much as a bottleneck, but it's just like a, a huge pain point, I suppose. It's just animations. Just just the need and the want for for our clients for just like high-end animation and doing really weird things that seem I, – I guess I kind of blame apps because everyone's kind of gotten used to like using an app on their phone and thinking that like when I click on this like image in a grid – that that image might expand to the top of the page and now I've got like the detail page, you know, and there's like a really, but doing that in a website is actually really complicated, like animating a component across a page route transition or something. Um, easy enough to do one or two examples of that, like a menu opening and closing or something. But if you want the whole website to kind of work that way, it gets really crazy. <laughs> and so that kind of stuff is really something we put we put a lot of, lot of energy into is just better animations and 
like you talked about the homepage of the Funkhouse website, you know, messing with scroll position and all these kinds of things and doing that in a way that isn't just annoying, you know, there's easy enough to like animate everything on a website and it just be totally unusable. The trick is doing that and having the website still, you know, be usable and actually add to it, not be a giant distraction. Right. And I think one thing about the Funkhouse website, going back to what I said at the beginning, that is just so cool about that animation is it wasn't vanilla. Like you, uh, it, you reinvented the way that like I would think about using the scroll Y variable. You know, it, it was used in more ways than one that is traditionally used. And that's the type of thing I'm guessing too. The reason why animations are difficult, you can't just reach to green sock to implement that. Like you can use their helper functions to like grab the pointer and like manipulate the DOM elements if you want or whatever library you use. But I guess I'm guessing these animations are truly like you're crafting the animation. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, you know, how we built that is, yeah, you have to, basically you, you, you figure out how long that carousel is from left to right and then get a percentage of the scroll position and translate it. Right. Let, you know, and so, yeah, there's a lot of like weird math going on there and trying to understand how wide something is, but also make it responsive. And yeah, it's, I wish it was way easier. And there really isn't, especially in the, in the view, like Greensock, for example, you know, like that was written originally when jQuery was a thing. Right. Yeah. That's old. It's old. It's old. It wasn't really written in these kind of like shadow DOM front end kind of things, you know, where like when you, inst- when you, your app starts up, the, half those components aren't even in the DOM yet, you know? So like it gets real tricky. Um, and there's only a, f- it's only sort of recently that there's been some animation libraries coming out that are actually kind of set up for this kind of stuff. Motion, check it out. Motion. It's not remotion. It's motion. Motion.dev. Yeah. Motion. Okay. Dot dev. Great. It's from the guys that did pop motion for react. So there's a, um, it's only starting to kind of become a thing now, but it's, yeah, it's still hugely custom. So, it's a real pain and it's a lot of effort that goes into it. And, and, you know, at the end of it, it looks, it should look easy, but behind the scenes, it's really difficult. Well, we're unfortunately coming up on time here. I have like so many more questions I want to ask about this clean run smoking machine that you have um, over at Funkhouse and how you guys are using these tools to really, you know, win the race here and produce these amazing looking sites. Um, but uh, since we're wrapping up, uh, I'm going to point viewers to go to the Funkhouse website, of course, check out what Drew and his team have built out. Is there any other things you'd like to point out to our viewers, Drew, uh, or socials of yours, if, if you like to direct people over to follow? Yeah, yeah. Ch- check out um, the Funkhouse website, obviously. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, Drew uh, Baker underscore. Um, that's, that's where I post just any of the interesting stuff that we're working on, really. Uh, and then the Funkhouse Instagram account, is really good. Just F U N K H A U S. We just won a Webby, which is pretty exciting. Um, we just won a Webby for a project we did for Adidas called Songs from Scratch. You want to see some weird stuff? You should check that website out. That's pretty Sweet. cool. Sweet. Okay, I'm googling it right now. Songs from Scratch. So we won a Webby for that one, um, which was exciting. Uh, and yeah, that's that's we're just chipping away, trying to trying to make one cool website after the other. <laughs> Heck yeah! I mean that. Sounds like fun. You know, you're really getting creative and pushing the envelope here. So, um, well, thank you for your time, Drew. It was great talking about your company and, and, what, and what you guys are doing. Um, and hopefully some some listeners can check out some of these tools that you were mentioning or if they're already using them, take inspiration about how you guys are keeping organized and proficient. 
Yeah, on that note, Paul, I would love to say that if anyone's out there listening and they hear this and they think, ah, this sounds really fun and I'd like to do this kind of work, send me an email, drew at funkhouse.us because we're always looking for talented people, actually looking for a um, technical, uh, uh, yeah, like a, not a, tech, a senior, senior technical person right now. So send me an email if you're, uh, if you're interested. Right on. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Drew, and thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Paul. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.